Hi, I want to welcome everybody to the CCW Safe Podcast. I'm Rob High uh, here with my co-host Phil Naiman, and today we are honored with a, a really special guest. We got Chris Peranto. Um, some of you guys know his story. Some of you guys know the story, but you don't know him. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit today. Chris, thank you so much for for jumping on and joining us, brother. Oh no, thank Bro, you, and and for I don't me think again. he was jumping. I was trying to jump. I was jumping on my good leg. Yeah, but, but I and thank you for letting me just do it out of my bed here with all these pillows and stuff. Yeah, my ice in my knee. I, I guys, I can't so thank you enough. Yeah, let's explain that for the people who just came on here. <laughs> okay. So it's you know nobody's over there feeding them grapes with a fan leaf or anything like that. Oh, are you kidding? He just me? had a major knee injury this week, and he is so tough. He's still coming on this show to do a battle of wits with Rob here. <laughs> Not a battle of wits with me, but with Rob. Um, and uh, we appreciate your time and your service, buddy. Thank you, sir. No, I, and yeah, definitely. You know, my wife said when I, I text, I called her, and I couldn't get a hold of her. I text her. I said, yeah, I blew my knee out. She goes, she goes, shit, Ranger, rub some dirt on it. That's the, seriously, I got the text. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm like, well, yeah, that's the love I get in my house. So yeah, ain't nobody, ain't nobody feeding me grapes, man. <laughs> Not gonna happen. <laughs> um, for those of you that that aren't aware, um, Chris was was one of the guys that was at the embassy in Benghazi. We're coming up on that 10-year anniversary right now. Um, but uh absolute incredible heroism in the face of overwhelming odds really i mean and and chris will, t will tell you guys when it when it gets to a point like that um you just fight like hell it's it's just yeah. it, there's no quit there's no stop you know phil and i talk about training and mindset and understanding your mission and that kind of thing but this this takes that to a whole entirely different level um chris kind of kind of give us a uh a, a rundown on your upbringing where'd you where'd you grow up uh, I, I, actually, in your, your background all that kind of stuff sure <laughs> sure, sure no my upbringing had a huge part in where my life is going I, you know i i grew up i grew up um in alamosa colorado it's first i was born but my, my family my grandfather and grandmother i didn't know my, my grandmother and grandfather on my dad's side they when he when he was one year old so my dad didn't even know his parents but i knew of them my grandfather on my dad's side was a was on a b2 crew a b52 crew i'm sorry and he got shot down and that's how he passed away he was shot down on a, on a mission um i thought that was one of the coolest things when i was a little kid my dad gave me his purple heart his little medal and i didn't know what it was but i i loved that thing in fact i i still love that thing it was like one of the coolest things in the world and I don't know if I got in the military mindset then or not. I just knew that this was an awesome award of Purple Heart. And, and maybe that sort of lead me down that road. I don't know. Subliminally, maybe it did. But on my mom's side, you know, my grandfather and grandmother, they were pickers. They came over from Mexico. And that had a huge influence on me growing up, as I can look back on it now, because they never complained. We, they never said we got a short end of the stick because of our race. I'm Hispanic. They never said, oh, man, yeah, we're, not, we're Mexican. We don't No, nothing. I never heard anything out of their mouths, but you work hard. Work hard. Things are going to go well. Work hard. You're going to get yourself moved up in, in whatever you want in life. Work hard. It's the same analogies of the positive analogies that we just don't hear anymore because we're more inclined to hear the negative stuff of that it's somebody else's fault. And it was never with my parents and my grandparents. Oh, no, no, no. You didn't make it maybe you need to work a little harder. 
and that was how I was brought up. And, and my father hugely brought up because, you know, of his hardships, very poor as well. It just was always work hard, work hard, you'll excel, work hard. So they pick you. If you don't get picked on a team, I always get this from my dad. You didn't get picked on the team. Well, then work harder. So they cannot not pick you on a team. You doesn't matter what you look like. Your name is my grandfather said the same things. Makes no difference. Ejo. It makes no difference. Ejo. You work hard. They won't say anything, but that you work harder than everybody else and you're going to get picked. And so that was in me growing up throughout high, you know, elementary school, high school. I played college football. I, I think there's a reason I, I, I got a scholarship to play football. I actually did very well in athletics. And, and uh, so when I got into the army, you know, the mindset of never quit, it was already there. It hadn't been, hadn't blossomed yet. Like the Ranger Battalion can do, <laughs> it can make you blossom or it can make you fold quick like that. It taught me that, that never quit. You can even go to the next level. And as long as you don't stop moving forward, you know, we have, a, we have a saying when a room clear, you know, room clear, find work, find work. You're always finding work. Never stop till, till the ops done. Right. It's the same thing. I'm always just finding work, get better, move forward. Even if it's baby steps, as long as you're moving forward, you're going to get better. You're going to better yourself. Can you, can you go back over that? Yeah. Find yeah. work, move forward. I mean, sure. Well, and, that out. You know, and that's why I love firearms training because firearms training, such an analogy of being successful in life. You're always finding, well, finding work. We'll use the CQB adage of finding work. When I first started to learn how to clear runes at Ranger Battalion, which, you know, Rangers learn from some of the best guys, you know, and then they bring unit guys down, the Delta guys down, or, or they bring, you know, they bring the RRD guys down or the senior guys from Ranger Battalion to teach us. It was always never stand still, never stop moving, always find work, always find a corner to clear, always find an area of pull security, always look for a threat in a room. You do not stop doing that because once you stop and you know urban and room clear and a CQB environments, building environments, it's a, not even a 360, it's a 720 environment. You cannot stop looking and not stop finding work. Well, that it was so to me, it was when I heard that it was such an analogy just to life itself. If we stop moving and we stop finding work, not necessarily finding work as in a job, but finding things to do to better ourselves, whether it's reading a book, whether it's taking online classes at E3 Farms Association, I had to throw that in there, but that's a finding work, whether it's, whether it's even just going and cleaning your house for the day so the house looks better, you're finding things to better yourself and to better your position in life. And it does transition and it does trans to being even more successful because employers and bosses see that. They say, yeah. man, self, we call them self-starters, right? You can't teach a person to be a self-starter. They either have it in them or they don't. Well, I, I disagree. I think you can teach them at an early age with parents and grandparents. That's what I learned mine. But once they get to the job, you really can't teach them. I agree with that. So that's what the finding work adage comes from. And that's, that is strictly from ranger instructors telling me to find work in the urban training we used to do and then also the cqb training and then the real world stuff that we, you know and then of course it definitely applies and you see how it applies when you do the real world stuff but that being said um i just took it and i was like man this is something that should be an analogy of life itself if you want to be successful so that was but it started at that early age from my grandfather and my grandmother because you know why because they always found work they got up every day my grandfather started as a picker and when he passed away, he owned his own farm. If that's not the freaking American dream, I, I don't know what is there. If that's not the, that shows you the value of hard work, I don't know what does. So, 
Yeah, I, I've have had people ask me about race. Like, hey, did you ever because and you know I do I look yeah I, I kind of look Hispanic. I think I got a little bit more Navajo Indian in me than I look Hispanic. But that being said, I, I never was. Well, you know what? You, you were never faced racism or nothing like that. Like, well, that's because my grandparents never allowed me. It wasn't in the household. That wasn't in our vocabulary. That that, that we were never going to blame somebody else for a shortcoming that we had. We were going to figure out what that shortcoming was, work on it improve and then if we ever get in that position where that shortcoming might show itself again it won't because we've practiced and we've trained and we know that nate i'm, I'm not going to let that obstacle whatever beat me before it's not going to beat me again but again that's honestly that's firearms training in a nutshell if you look at it to get better you just got to get better that is, that is so good brother it, it's the the whole built-in you know and you know you you raise a kid and you know, if you're not doing that by the time those kids are eight and 10 years old, you're, you not only have you done an injustice to them, but, but you've broken them. You've, yeah. you've really given them the foundation to, to be successful. I was very fortunate to have a good family unit. You know, my parents were, were both um, self-motivators. They, they did their own thing. Um, I, I come from both sides of, of my family were, were military people or law enforcement people. Um, athletically, my siblings were, we were allowed to do anything we wanted to do, but once you start, there's no quitting. You finish. Yep. You got to finish. Once yeah. you start to finish, that's what my dad always just say. You don't, too. you don't like it next year. You don't have to do it again, but yep. this year you started it. You're going to see it through. Yep. There's a lot of lessons in that. Um, I don't, I don't know why, um, mine was early, early on was, was wrestling. And it was, I think I really enjoyed the fact that, uh, not only was there, there nobody to take the credit from my work and my results, there was also nobody to blame it on blame. Yeah. It's on you, make it, make it happen, make it work. Um, but I also, you know, I played football and things like that. So the team aspects as well, yeah. um, it was, it was such a, a great environment to grow, grow up in. You know, I'm a kid from the 60s. So I, I really, you know, you, a lot of my coaches and things like that, these are guys that were coming out of the Vietnam era and those kind of things. Um, just different kinds of mindsets. And we've become, and I'm, you know, we, we, we want our kids to always have it better than what we had it. Yeah. But at the same time, um, my, you won't find my kids whining and moaning because they don't have something because, well, I don't have a job. I don't have this. There's work to be had everywhere. All a the lot. Yeah, a all lot right now. Yeah, I've never you know, had a job. Same um, thing with, the, with ours growing up. You know, they weren't allowed to quit anything. And then uh, I'm bored was like a death nail because when they said that, man, the work came out. Yes. I think I heard that twice from them in their entire life because after that they knew... <laughs> Just oh, yeah, find they, something to do for dad yeah, picks it. Yeah, I got, I got, I got, I got laundry mode. I got room, clean your room. You got your board. I know you can clean your room right now. So go ahead and go do that. I had a nephew came and live with us, um, bad family situation. So he lived with us through his high school years and he'd get to that. You know, he was a little older than my son. So he was 15, 16 years old. I said, go for a run. I said, don't come back till you've done three miles. So you need to get your energy out go because you stay here i'm gonna pound you flat so go go run and he, he ended up becoming a, a great marine 
Um, and uh, he ran all the time after that, but it was like, he had to find a release for that sure. angst energy at age 16. And the um, running was a great idea for it. Oh, it does. I, I'm obviously not doing it right now, but I, I see myself as a spiritual runner. I love running just because it clears my head. But where it started from, and I was a very good runner in the arm. Actually, I, I could run. I, I'm very proud to say I could run fast. I could do five minute miles. I could do, you know, I could do two miles, you know, at right around 10 something. I, I, and the thing is wise, because I think it was a lot of it. Yeah. I had a lot of energy too. So I was always told, get outside then go, go get outside, go waste your energy outside. We don't need you in here. And so I did, I spent a lot of my time, not just playing football, but just being out in the farm. And it was the blessing of being on a farm as well you know, I could go. And at that time in, in, in our lives too, my parents could just let me go and I'd take my lab and I'd be, they knew I was going to be safe. And I'd walk a mile to the Colorado river. You said that was the Alamo, Alamos, Colorado, Alamo, Alamosa, Colorado. And then that's down there by, uh, by Blanca, Fort Blanca. Yeah. yeah. So by Mount, Mount Blanca, Fort Fort Blanca, Mount Blanca, great sand dunes right there on the, uh, on the Sangre de Cristo range, beautiful place to grow up. And then my grandfather's farm, when he got his farm, he moved to Western Colorado, which is in Delta, but you're still, yeah, you're still up by the ground. Where, where was so. the, where was his Western town? Delta, Delta Colorado. It's, Delta, it's a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, I know Mount Blanca or I know, yeah, Mount Blanca. I know Delta. We hunt out of Montrose all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's a beautiful place to grow up. So growing up there and again, at the time I, I could just take my 22 I, and I, this is what I loved. I, I, people ask me this as well. And I, since we're talking about, you know, we're on the CCW uh, on, on the, on the podcast is that what, what do you, how do you train kids anymore? Honestly, the hunter safety courses that we used to take as kids are still the, I think as an entry level are still the perfect courses yeah. to do. I tell guys, guys, there's, you don't need to invent something new because we have Instagram and you want to be the first to do. training is training safety, safety. Hunter safety, don't you don't need to change that. That was perfect. And that was the first time I could get my 22 is I had to go do a hunter safety course. My dad said, nope, no soup. You can have your your pellet gun and your BB gun, but no, he's called no real bullets <laughs> until you took a hunter safety course. And I still remember that course. I still remember the safety. I still remember some of the breakdown stuff we did as far as breaking just, and, and it may have been an extra thing for us, but he broke down a little 22. And I, but I still remember the hunter safety course and I remember this, the importance of safety, how it was stressed because the firearms is an inherently dangerous object, especially if it's in the wrong person's hand. But in the right person's hands, it can be an extreme, extremely helpful tool and can save lives. But where did that all start? When I was 10 and I went through a hunter safety course, and I still think that's the best way to train new kids coming in. And it was very unintimidating, non-intimidating. It was very, very, honestly, I had fun, but it all started, you know, just growing up and for my grandfather and the value of hard work and knowing you had to do something if you wanted to seek that reward. Well, my reward was the 22. What did I, my dad require me to do? I had to go take a hunter safety course. Yeah. Why aren't we still doing that today? I, I don't even know if we do. I do. They're, really they're actually, they're actually illegal in California for you. Oh, that's, that's that for you. <laughs> love politics. Just love politics and politicians. That to me, that was my introduction to really, firearms and guns but i i didn't get into it i wasn't a huge hunter growing up i did some bird hunting pheasants because and then gophers you know the, the prairie dogs that's that used to be the great prairie dog hunt in nucla colorado but because it's harmful to the prairie dogs that are now overrunning the whole western side of the state 
it's it's not allowed anymore. Um, but uh, really, guns and things where I started to get more involved, of course, is when I joined the army, and that. But I, that was out of all the things we did in basic training, the two funnest things I ever had doing was going to church on Sunday because I knew I could get away from the drill sergeant. So brought God were in my life, honestly. And then also, you know, the, the week that you spend out doing your M16, which at that time, M16A2, I don't know what they do now, um, qualifications. And to get that badge that I was so, I want that expert. I want that 36 out of 40. And I still remember the feelings of that shooting and how, it just fit. You know, I, I grabbed that in 16. I shot, I didn't, I shot 35 the first time I got, gosh, I missed it by one. Um, but I just remembered how fun it was. And that's when firearms. And of course I had a rip contract, which is now called the option 40 contract to go to range battalion. So of course I was going to get into it more. And I knew that, but it was something I looked forward to. So I could get through the crappy basic training parts. I went through a 95 when they were still hazing the heck out of us. And I, you need that. I definitely believe you need the beat downs, not beat downs. I'm not talking Arlie Ermey, you know, full metal jacket, but you needed that. To that break them down, to make them into a team. You had to, you, and, and they were physical with us. I never got hit, but would they, yeah, would they grab us? And yeah, of course they did. And But it was well freaking deserved. It was, I saw a New York kid get knocked on his ass because he smarted off to a drill sergeant on the first day of basic training. And did it make my butthole go like this? And did I go, oh my gosh. All right, mind my P's and Q's. Remember what your dad said, discipline, have discipline, mind your P's. Yeah, it did. That first day, boom, that New York kid flew across that desk. The, the drill sergeant just came around. He did, he checked him. And, uh, but I tell you what, we had probably had the best platoon in the whole company the rest of the time because <laughs> we were like, holy, I, and I was just like, holy crap. I didn't think this stuff still happened. But I know that incident helped me get better because it did make me refocus on and, and understand what discipline was and also be like, hey, discipline was and how important it was just to pull the stuff I learned growing up. But also situation, uh, not situational worse, more so, well, situational worse than you know, what the drill sergeant was you <laughs> when they get away with something. <laughs> but, but, the, but the discipline to, hey, attention to detail, attention to detail. I, and you don't, you know, and, and Robin and Phil, you know, we, I didn't think of that at the time, but now that I'm out and I'm able to think back at it, I can see that's what they were going for. And that's what they were getting out of me. And it, it, in their unorthodox way, unorthodox or orthodox, however you want to look at it, um, it was the right way for us at that point in time. And to say that it didn't help me on my 10, 10 years of deploying overseas, it did not help me when I was in Benghazi to never quit. No, it helped me. I needed that. I needed to see that. And it did help me and become a stronger person. So when I really needed it to not quit, so we could find a way to get out of there alive and help the team, it was there ingrained. But that's where it starts. And I think the kids miss that. I, we, you don't need to beat the kids, but you do need the discipline. And you can't accept that when somebody says they're a cat, you got to tell the kid, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not a cat. You're, you're not, you're, you are what biology tells you to be. And I do believe in biology. Of course, I believe in God. This is what you are. You're a man, you're a woman. That's what you are. That's what you are. It's, and let's, let's stop making it okay. Just be whatever you want. Cause that's not how, that's not how life works. It's not going to treat you that way. And that boss is sure as hell isn't going to tell you, you know, you, you identify as a cat. Nah. Yeah. You're, you know, that's the kind of person we're looking for. Come on over. We want, we want to yeah. hire you. Yeah. We have a, we have a, um, 
I just wondering if they're identifying as a cat, do they have to have sexual identified litter boxes? Like are, this is for boy cats. This is for girl cats. What, what do we have to do in the workforce for that? And, and people, honestly, I know people have to like, oh, that doesn't happen in small town, Kansas. That's why, why I'm saying this I, is because it's happening in one of our small towns here in, in Kansas, small yeah. town, Kansas. They have to have a litter box in the, in the bathroom. Now, maybe they've addressed it since no. then. Yes. I've, and they might have addressed it. I was it. making that up. I know, brother, but that's, that's, <laughs> I was that's, trying to make it up. I didn't know I was repeating history. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just trying to be ridiculous. And that's how ridiculous things have gotten because we've we have failed at teaching hard work and discipline and that fail and that hey, th bad things happen, you know, um, obstacles might happen, you can get over them. But if we're okaying to say if we're if we're finding reasons to okay it being not different, we're all different, but okay to be I, I don't I don't say okay to be a cat, but that's essentially what it is. But somebody okayed it. So there was a supervisor that said, we're failing. Idea. We're failing. We're failing our youth just on <laughs> just the, just the basics of just yeah, the basics the, of overcoming adversity. Hey, the, the simple thing for me is, is to, to just tell somebody, go, go grab me an egg from a rooster or bring me a bucket of milk from a bull. Yep. And when you can do those things, I'll listen to your argument. But until that, well, I'm just, I'm not. I'm just going to stay old fashioned. I, well, and somebody, but Rob, somebody authorized yeah. that action. Somebody condoned it to the point of we're going to start putting litter boxes in the restrooms. And the reason I bring that up, I, you know, I, we kind of went sideways there. Why I thought that is because I thought <laughs> about, I thought about my grandmother if I'd done something like that. And how she would, oh my gosh, just my grandmother, she would, no, it wouldn't happen in the house. It'd be done. Like, no, you are, you, you are who you are. You, you're a boy, you're a man. I start, what are you going to start acting like it? I've never heard that all the time, but it, it's necessary. And it is. That's why I believe going in the military and, and, and it whittling me that way uh, to be that person with situational awareness going through hard times but overcoming those hard times going through a divorce while i was in basic training man i got that jody i got the the dear john letter and still having to make it through basic training that's obstacles and adversity that i don't think i would have been able to make it through and recover from if i hadn't had that hard discipline really parental figures not authority figures parental figures they love me to death I still got to do a lot of stuff when I was growing up that I wanted to. I wasn't locked in my bedroom. I didn't have to have hospital corners on my bed, but I had a lot of discipline, positive discipline, but also negative reinforcement if I needed to. When I shot my brother, my brother with the beat with the Daisy BB gun, I got my ass spanked with the Daisy BB rifle by my mother. I deserve that. Taught me again. Don't shoot your brother with the BB gun. Anymore. When your mom's home. When my mom's on exactly. <laughs> hey guys, I just need to pop in here a minute. Phil, can you fix your camera focus? It's a little bur blurry, Phil. I don't know. Yeah. It might just be the internet. It, it sometimes go. we get a little low on that. But, um, it's my gel shot, so I look a little it is. fabulous. <laughs> Great. Uh, Thanks, guys. Continue. But yeah, I growing as I went in and then the military. You know, um, first time I was in the military, I think we might even talked about this, Phil, last time. I was kicked out of the military. I did something really stupid. I did. I 
my wife, I got that Dear John letter and I went off the rails when I went home on, on block leave. And yeah, I was going to ambush the guy she was screwing around on me with. And God always, you know, I think God, God loves the, loves the sinners. God loves the, the screwed up. And before I got there, I got stuck in a mud bog. I got, they were building houses where his house was. And I had a Bronco two, which if anybody that's owned a Bronco two, four wheeler, my ass. No, it's not, not a Bronco. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, but as I'm going there, I got stuck in the mud because they were doing a lot of construction. It was winter time, but it was wet in the Western slope. I was in Grand Junction. And, um, but I thought about it and, and uh, I went back home and, and I thought of myself even a bigger failure. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't keep a marriage. Someone's cheating on me. I can't do, I can't even carry out this, this, which would have been, obviously would have been murder. I mean, come on. I'm just not, I'm not going to say it anymore. It would have, but I can't carry this out either. And I just, I would, I'd started taking pills and drinking Jack Daniels until I just couldn't feel myself anymore. And I called my, God bless Ranger buddies, man. I called my buddy, Matt, who was home on block leave as well. We joined together. He's actually, as I was an E4 there, he actually went the commission route. He was, he was the first Lieutenant at, um, <laughs> I became a first Lieutenant at Ranger Battalion and then a captain, but I called him, he was on block leave too. And I said, brother, I've done some stupid shit. I said, this is what I did. And of course he rushes over i get to the hospital get my stomach pumped long story short get back to get back to the uh, second range battalion i tell you what i thought they were going to ostracize me i mean they thought i really did because you're at range battalion there's no tolerance right you have any toleration tolerance for weak weakness there's no tolerance for screw-ups there's no tolerance for being stupid especially something like that those guys rallied around me i mean they moved me into the barracks they rallied around me they took that's why I love Ranger Battalion. I love being a Ranger because in that one time where honestly, that's where weakness truly did show in my, it did. I, I gave up. They didn't push me aside. They came and rallied around me and said, we got you, man. You're going to be fine. Um, because of what I did though. And I, of course I had to tell that I had to tell the military investigators. I had to tell the healthcare professionals at Madigan army hospital. I was guy. They said, well, you can't be in the military anymore. I don't know where why first sergeant grippy who was later sergeant major grippy he was my first sergeant at the time tremendous ranger hall of fame ranger and then captain pete lacamera who's now um uh, i think it's major general lacamera now uh they managed to get me an honorable discharge something i sh didn't deserve but i got it that saved my life to this day i say those guys saved my life because it allowed me to fix my stuff okay remember my grandfather my grandmother my dad fix your shit big boy Get back up on the horse. You fell off. Fix it. I did. I, I applied for grad school. It's the only thing I could do with what had what, I, I got out with an honorable discharge, but it was also I had an RE code of three, which means you really screwed up. Shouldn't get this honorable discharge, but if you ever want to get back in, it's going to be next to be impossible. So it was really hard for me to get a job. Um, and I didn't want to stay in Grand Junction to get a regular. I didn't. I didn't want a regular job. So I applied for grad school. Like I said, keep finding work. Better yourself. Better yourself. Better yourself. And I went to grad school. And for the next two years, while well, I had to wait for the two-year time frame before I could re-enlist in the military, I got my master's degree. So again, that adage of just finding work and getting better, it was still there. And I actually got my master's degree, re-enlisted, and I went back and I did it all over again. I did basic again. I did infantry basic again. I did airborne again. I did ranger indoctrination again. Went back to, I don't know how I got to the same company. I went right back to second range battalion. Went back to Bravo Company. I went to school, got my tab, and life was going great, man. Things were fantastic, and um, and uh, I got 
slotted to be an officer. So I went from getting kicked out of the military to now I'm going to become a commissioned officer. And I, I thought, honestly, I saw that to be a little ironic, to be honest with but I did fix myself. I completely got remarried to a, to a wonderful woman that I'm married to right now. Hopefully she's hearing this. I think she's in the other room. So hopefully she's hearing me say this right now. Because she's oh, a the wonderful. Other, the other part she should hear was. She's a wonderful woman. <laughs> the other she should hear was, you, God saved you from the first one because she weighs yeah. 300 pounds now. Oh, that she might. I could be, brother. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a possibility. But, um, but honestly, that's kind of where my life started to, you know, it really did. It just started to take off. But where did that start from? Don't give up. You work hard. Right. You don't ever quit. Yeah, early. E, 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 yeah, exactly. And there, there, you know, and from then on, I did, a, I, I did get my commission. Uh, I did become an O2. And then I did, um, we we're on a training op in Fort Benning. And I, uh, I, I, it was hot. I was, didn't feel right. Stomach was burning. It just didn't feel good at all. And I passed a little gas and I sharded. I thought's what I did. Yeah, hey, come on. We all done out. In the, if anybody that served in Fort Benning in the summer, when you're dehydrated and you just don't feel right and you just and you don't want to go in one of those wood shacks to to take a dump uh, everybody's done it once or twice but mine is different and i it, i knew i when i reached back i was like oh that's not good and it was sticky and it, it didn't look like 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 a bunch of blood but i knew there was blood in there it just didn't feel right well i had ulcerative colitis i had a severe case of it my guts were rotten away and that was that was a, that was another obstacle honestly that was unexpected i didn't see that was one time where I was looked at God. I did. And, I'm, and I looked up and I'm like, I've been through all this. Really? What did I do to deserve? It was like, what did I do to deserve this? But I, I, you can't look at it that way. You know, God has reasons and I'm glad he did it. I'll be on looking back on it now, but at the time, um, and uh, it was a very severe case. I, my guts were completely inflamed. They, it just looked like road rash on my lower intestines and my colon. And, and I lost 30 pounds, I want to say in a couple of weeks, I just, I couldn't eat. Everything just kept going through me. There were massive amounts of prednisone and I got medically discharged in 2003. So I go from all this hard work to come back and now I'm finally back and actually I'm becoming a commissioned officer. I'm going to go back to Range Battalion as a platoon leader. I mean, this is, I'm, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, this happens, but it, it did, it, it is a, it was a good prep because, um, you know, when your buddies die out of nowhere, and you got to keep fighting. You got to find that from somewhere. And I, I didn't, you know, of course, at the time I wasn't thinking that, but now looking back at it, it's like, you know what, that's, that was supposed to happen. God did that for a reason. There is a reason. And I was very blessed for the first year. I didn't know what I was going to do. I did get some, you know, I got medical retirement. I got a little bit of money and I do every month And the military treats me well. And they did, they took care of me. But we, you know, it wasn't a ton and, and I got my health back. It took about a year to get my health back. And then I got a call in 2004 from, uh, and with a span of 10 minutes, a guy from Blackwater called me and then a guy from Triple Canopy called me. <laughs> and I didn't know what they were. And the Blackwater guy says, hey, do you want to go to Iraq? And I said, well, sure, I'd love to, but, uh, you know, I'm not in the military anymore. What, what do you know? I didn't know what contractors were. And he goes, no, we want you to be a contractor in Iraq. And I said, well, I don't build houses, guys. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I, I, you think you got the wrong guy. I thought they meant a building contractor. They said, no, 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 no. We want you to do security work for us in Iraq. And, and um, this is, we got your name from a friend that served with you, a buddy that was a ranger that went to Blackwater before me. He gave him my name. And they said, are you, you know, and I, and after that, it was off and running. I mean, I was for 10 years, the next 10 years, I'm, 
uh, I'm deploying I'm at, with Blackwater. Uh, the reason I picked Blackwater over Triple Canopy, I thought they were both excellent. You know, Eric Prince at that time, I thought he was doing an excellent job. Triple Canopy had Lee Van Arsdale, who, you know, who's freaking Delta legend. So both those companies, I don't think I could have gone wrong with either. Yeah. But I, I went over with Blackwater and um, for the next 10 years, I'm Iraq, Afghanistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kurdistan, Yemen, Libya, uh, South America, Central America. I mean, I, I got to do some really cool things that if all the, that adversity didn't happen or if I'd been in the military, not saying I wouldn't have been able to do cool things with the Rangers. I, I, of course, I would have. But it, it was perfect for me because there was very little oversight at the time. And you really are on your own. You're, you're flying by the seat of your pants. And it's, it, it was it was awesome. Those Wild West days. And I, I, I'm not going to knock it. We were getting paid. Yeah, those early days, we were, we were making some good, good money. Yeah. And um, so, but, yeah, you know, it's funny because starting from the beginning, how did that all happen? It all started from being a kid and just telling my grandparents never let me quit. My mom never let me quit. My dad, get up back on your horse, son. You fell off. Get up back on it and keep riding. And then from the find work, always finding work. And, you know, it, it applies in life. Of course, it applies to the military operations, but just in life in general, that's, I would never have got to that point if I ever would have felt sorry for myself one time. And I wasn't able to do that because my grandparents and my parents never let me feel sorry for myself. And I think that's where we have problems today with, with some of the youth is, is we allow that or we accept that, or we're afraid to say, hey, you screwed up fix it. Humiliation is a great, great uh, teacher to how to excel, just as accommodations are. The attaboys are great, but also going back to my hometown after getting kicked out of Ranger Battalion with my tail between my legs in a small itty-bitty town where everybody knows you, that was humiliating. I never wanted to feel that again. So I, I, And I think we're failing our kids by not letting humiliation every once in a while be the teacher. But that's again, that's that comes back to this training. That's what training is. You miss shots. Dude, I remember running against, when I throw around to, from the, when I throw around doing a shoot, shoot do you not think everybody, oh, Tano, ah, yeah, but it's a joke, but that's part of the training. All right. Bullets down range. Can't take it back. Readjust, re and refire. Let's knock it out of the park. So I think training, it, it's okay to learn and teach and be positive, but there is some training value. And I know for a fact to, to, to missing, to, to not winning, to, to actually throwing a shot that, believe me, everybody's going to make fun of Tano when he throws a shot. It happens. It's okay. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not perfect. But that humiliation so, makes me, okay, refocus, Tano. You screwed up. What'd you do? Trigger press was wrong. Hold is wrong. Did you not get a good sight picture before you press the trigger? It helps me re readjust and re-aim re re and refire and hit the, hit the target the next time. Did your, did your grandmother help you overcome adversity with the phrase says something, oh, I don't know, like uh, at this point, Senator, what difference does it make anyway? Was that your grandmother saying? Yeah, my grandmother, if she was alive and she would have saw that on TV, Hillary would have been, she would have grabbed her up by her scruff and, oh, I, my grandma would have been living. No, grandma never said anything, what difference does it make? She would always say, make the difference. You are the difference. You'd better make it. If you didn't make the difference, then you need to, again, it always comes back. You better work harder so you do the next time. Oh, my grandma, yeah. My grandma was uh, since passed, uh, passed before that happened. But I tell you what, 
uh, Abuela, she wouldn't have put up with that kind of crap. That's not her at all. No, no. And uh, yeah, that that lady's going to get off scot-free. She will. It's just how it's going to happen. But she'll be judged. I'm not worried about it. God judges. Everybody gets judged. So I, I'm okay with that. So for those of you who've lived under a rock for 10 years, what we're talking about <laughs> here um, was a little bit of a, a skirmish in, in a wild west town called Benghazi, um, a, a, an altercation, a neighborhood altercation over a soccer game, I think is, uh, was the official was, Obama yeah, or yeah. video uh, <laughs> uh, story on that. But since I wasn't there and somebody on this podcast was, why don't you tell me what you were, tell our viewers what you were doing out there and what, yeah. what happened, transpired? Well, well, what we were doing, uh, fish, what we're doing out there, and that's the official is what it is. It is. It's a half truth. We're always out there trying to find terrorists, even though our chief of base at that time didn't want to find terrorists. So our job was to do it was to go find terrorists, even though our chief of base wanted nothing to do with finding terrorists because he wasn't a counterterrorism officer. He wasn't a CT, what we call CT guy. And most of the case officers there weren't CT. So what we were doing there was just honestly well, what we're doing there unofficially, we were getting weapon systems, Gaddafi's arms to get him into militias that were to, we wanted to completely destabilize the region. We'd already destabilized Egypt and it was, even Egypt, it wasn't due to some video. The riots were going on way before this stupid video came out. Libya, definitely there was no video. We didn't even know, but we were destabilizing the region. So we destabilized Egypt. We helped with the coup. We'd overthrown Gaddafi, which shouldn't have done, but we did anyway. We destabilized that region. And then next was going into Syria. So we can't, we already saw what happened with the Iran-Contra affair. And we saw what happened with the uh, Fast and Furious in Mexico. We couldn't just give arms to militias. But what could we do? We could give a dictator's arms to militias under the auspice of we were going to overthrow this dictator. Let's get his stockpiles now and secretly move them to militias so they can go ahead and do the, do the assault in Syria and overthrow Assad. Um, how did how did Syria work out? Yeah, yeah, I, there's, yeah. I think it's there's still some fighting. I know the news doesn't like to talk about it, but there's still 10th Mountain Division over there fighting right now, fighting terrorists. Yeah, ISIS is still alive and well. And you know, even our attack in Benghazi, Al Qaeda was supposed to be on the run. The majority of the attackers, out of the 150 or 160 attackers we had that night that hit us, uh, more than half of those guys were Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda in the Maghreb. And actually, Al-Zawahiri is the one that okayed the attack. I, a lot of people don't know that. I, when I found that out, Al-Zawahiri was the guy that actually said, hey, you guys go hit that. That's huge. If people don't, that are been living on Iraq that don't know about the global war on terror, dude, that's, number two, that's the number two guy that's telling, go hit Benghazi. Go get the ambassador. We need him. We're going to, but I'm getting ahead of myself. What we were doing there was unofficially is we were moving arms, Gaddafi's arms into into and, friendly and militia's as, hands what is and as, as a patriot right who <laughs> like our listeners who always believe the you know the u.s is we're, we're always doing the right thing because that's our frame of reference this is hard to hear it, it is and you know i, I it's hard because and a lot of it is hard to hear especially some people on the right is hard to hear because some of the people on the right were involved john mccain was one of the big ones he actually was yeah. a trooper he showed up he's not on the right yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah. The, he's the one that coined the phrase. What do you say? The friendly, friendly armed militias or friendly terrorists or something like that. He's calling that. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Friendly one. 
but he was the one that was a part of it. John uh, Speaker Boehner was part of it at that going on. People don't know a lot about it. And then, of course, Mike Rogers from Michigan. And he's one of the Republicans that tried to slam us on the first committee. It's why Benghazi, uh, the select committee came about after. But no, I, you know, people on the ground are doing the right things for the most part. Special operations guys, for the most part, do the right things. I, I understand there are times when it's hard to, when you're there for a year and you see your buddies die and die and die. Any person's going to break. They are. And that's where you do see some atrocities in war. You, you do. Um, you're, it's, it's just how it is. It, it, I, I don't condone it. I don't accept it. I've, I've never done it. I've been able to control my emotions. But I'm not going to say that, man, that guy, he shouldn't have killed that person that we thought was a terrorist, but we weren't sure when he just saw his whole squad die 20, you know, a few hours before. I, you don't condemn. We try to stop it within ourselves. And for the most part, we're able to do that. But that being said, you know, uh, the, it's the politicians that, that really, they, they don't have your back. And you're, they're doing it for agendas. They're doing it for political reasons. We're not ever doing it because... We want to go find some. I think the only time really that's happened, at least in my lifetime, was going after Osama bin Laden. That was that's what we should have done. And going into Afghanistan, we weren't trying to overthrow Afghanistan or even overthrow the Taliban. We were trying to find Osama bin Laden. The Taliban just just happened to be protecting him. So guess what we're going to do? Well, you're all dead because you're you're harboring a fugitive that just killed thousands and thousands of people that attacked us. Um, when it after that though it it starts to become political and it starts to become this money and and it it, it i think every time since then but when you're on the ground doing the job i never looked at the politics i just liked doing my job i liked working with the person to the left and right of me i loved the brotherhood aspect i loved that we were killing some terrorists we were getting some and taking some out but the politics i, I can't stand can't stand at any of it at all so did you guys on on september 11th was there a heads up on this attack um you know if you watch the movie that is right there was a little sheet that came out a few days prior that said uh, uh, an american facility in libya will is will be attacked to be a bolo alert to be on the lookout alert but brother phil that came out <laughs> everywhere we were at it seemed like it came one came out every week so it wasn't something new. It was like okay. it was like a CYA memo. Hey, cover our ass. So if something gets attacked, we can say that something got attacked. Yeah, we even though we, even though we have no idea if something's going to get attacked. But so we did. Then what was your first? What was the first indication that things were going south? Um, not the gunfire, because you get used to the gunfire. It happens all the time. When our when our our TL our TL our team leader Jiras team leader said Jiras wasn't the first call. First call, he said, Jiras, who needs you in the team room. Very nonchalant. Didn't seem like anything. Actually, the guys had thought I'd got us all in trouble again because I used to play, I used to pick on case officers. So they thought we were getting called in to get dressed down because Tano played a joke on a case officer. It was 30 seconds later, we get that second call and he said, Jiras, needs you in the team room now. And you know, just the tone. Um, if you've been in law enforcement, you've been in the military, you know that tone. You just, oh, you know, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up because it's time, it's time. And that adrenaline kicks in. And that's when I looked at Boone and he was smiling at me. It was, it was awesome. I love working with him. He's, he's smiling at me. And I say what he's thinking. I know what he's thinking. I go, looked right in his eyes. And I said, man, we could do something fun tonight. 
we headed our gear and we headed out the door and then the all the shooting you could see where it was coming from the consoles maybe three quarters of a mile away if that and i can see the tracers you know at that time we had the advantage of night vision after afghanistan or our, our our complete debacle of a pullout i don't know if we do anymore but at you mean that the rearming you mean the rearming <laughs> of the taliban yeah and every trillion dollars yeah but at that time we did so you know they used a lot of tracers so you can see those tracers you know tracer for those that don't know it's a bullet that burns i'm sure most of your audience knows that so you weren't at you weren't at the ambassador's location when it started we were at our annex which is 3 quarters of a mile away we stayed separately from it and that's generally how it is if if you have a facility you'll have an annex and then you'll have an actual embassy or consulate or temporary mission facility is what they called this one um and um the kennel the can that's what it was. Um, and the reason they called it that is because if you if you lower it, that if you degrade it, what the name is, that means you have to have less security. They didn't want to have fast company Marines or they didn't want to have MSGs there, Marine, Marine security guards there. So that's why it kept going down in stature. It was an embassy. Then it went down to consulate. Then it went down to temporary mission facility because by calling it that, they didn't have to get any American security there, except for State Department officers, which is just a few of them. But um, yeah, we saw the firefight and for the next 30 minutes, we tried to get out of there. But being military and, and having discipline, all of us were older. Roan was in his 40s. I was in my 40s. Oz was in his 40s. Tig was 39. He was our youngest. All of us, you know, we, we listened to our leaders. Bob was saying, don't go. We knew something was wrong and, and he'd done that before. And I said something was wrong, not at the concert. We knew something shady was going on because he kept talking on his phone. Um, I just found out, and I didn't know this, in fact, till I talked to our, my guest on my podcast today, that we, he said we were waiting on 17th Feb to take the lead. Today, I found out that 17th Feb commander that he was talking to on the phone told him after the first five minutes that they were not going to help. And he failed to tell us that. He kept lying to us and saying, we're going to get 17th Fed to help out. We're going to get 17th Fed to help out. They had what told is 17th him Fed? That was the militia that was supposed to be friendly to us. That was like our, we always have a- The Libyan. Like, the Libyan in, guard. And, and in they, countries. They may or may not have. We didn't have much rapport with them, but that was his thing. They were supposed to be the, the local response group for us. Um, and But for the next 30 minutes, man, it, it's hard. It's heartbreaking. But and the adrenaline's going crazy, but you have to take that breath. Again, you have to just like I said, take the breath. <laughs> take a breath, calm down, get control of that adrenaline. Panic breeds panic. I've seen it a million times, but you see one courageous person that can calm everybody down. And my team was courageous. Nobody was panicking. Everybody was doing their jobs. And it calmed me down. And we needed to calm all the case officers down because it was like, it was like cats throwing fire, firecrackers at cats. It was and that does you no good. So, um, but over that 30 minutes, though, the State Department security team, man, I mean, you can just, they're just calling us. It's just pleading. It's like GRS. That's what we are, GRS. GRS, where are you? GRS, you need to F and get here. GRS, we need you. GRS, we're dying. GRS, they're lighting the buildings on fire. So we're hearing them dying. We can see the firefight. And it's incredible. It, it is. If you've ever seen a firefight, either even with night vision or with not at night, it's 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 awesome. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, but that 30 minutes we wait, and then finally we get a call from Alec Henderson. He's barricade, he's a state department officer. He has locked himself in their tactical operations center. 
all the computers. He's watching this team get decimated. That's where all the CCTVs are. And he comes across the radio to us. It was like 9.57, almost 10 o'clock. And he says, GRS, if you don't get here, we're all going to effing die. Man, I saw Tyrone. Tyrone looked like Leonidas from 300. Tyrone was huge. Tyrone monster. He just stuck his arm out like this at the door. And I just saw this arm about this big come out of this armored car door. <laughs> and I was like, this is awesome. Get a good combat Leonidas. And we just took off, took off the gate. We, we stopped to get our interpreter which was kind of a story within itself because I couldn't find him. But as soon as I stopped the cars, I was able to get out and find him. And that little guy, he was an interpreter. He wasn't a combat chirp. He was a linguist. He was the bravest guy we had. Bravest. No business he had going with us. And he did. And he, he was willing to give up himself. And that motivated me. I saw that in the movie. Yeah. And it, that was pretty so spot on. Did you, when, when they gave that call, were you actually released? Or did you guys just go? We just went. We bucked orders. And we were reprimanded for that later. We knew we were going to. I mean, I we didn't care. At that point, I, I always have an issue when somebody, and, and I love my law enforcement guys. I'm friends with a lot of them. I love my military guys. But I always have an issue when somebody doesn't do the right thing because they say they're going to lose their job. Yep. Right. No, it, that's horseshit. To me, I don't, that's, that's cop out. That means you're not to guard. No, that, that's, that's, that's. That's that's, that's, coward, that's cowardice to me. I, I really believe that's it. the Nazi guard syndrome. If I didn't do it, I was going to lose my I job. I was going to lose my job. Oh, you're right. You, you watch all those stories about, you know, the, uh, the internment camps and the, the concentration camps. I was going to lose my job, but no horseshit. You do the right thing. And that was the right thing to do. You can put a price on integrity. And, and would I have done it if I was on my own? I still probably would have. But since I had a team of, you know, at that time, four other guys, Oz was out at a dinner. He wasn't with us at that point in time because everybody else said it was easy. I mean, there was nobody. It was like, we're going. That's what I remember, honestly, the most. I remember a lot of stuff, but I remember that feeling the most of just we're all in this together. We don't like each other. And that's, like, that's another thing. We all didn't like each other. We didn't all get along. I think there's a big civilians think there's a big uh, there's a there's there's a misnomer that civilians think that if you're in special officer with those teams y'all like each other oh my gosh you have alpha male egos all over the place of course you don't like each other it's but you figure out how to get along respect each other and what comes first that mission comes first i don't like you you don't like me screw that we got a mission to do let's go get it done and that's what makes Rangers Rangers. That's what makes SEAL SEALs. That's what makes D Delta Delta. That's what makes ODAs ODAs. It doesn't matter if we like each other or not. We will always put that mission first, and especially if it's going to save lives. And so it was easy to go out the gate because I had those guys with me, and none of them were, were questioning that either. So we no, we, we left, and yeah, we paid the price. We lost our security clearances because we bucked orders. And as a contractor, that essentially means you got fired. Without a security clearance, I can't do anything. It didn't matter. And we, we drove down there and we got about 400 meters from the consulate gate and terrorists are good at what they do. They're, they're good. They're, they're excellent. Just like I think the Vietnam guys will tell you the Viet Cong and, and are just as good at what they do at guerrilla warfare. They're good. So what did they do? We had one main entrance point or access point that we could drive a vehicle down and get in there. That's the front gate. We had one on fourth ring road, but it was very hard, heavily trafficked and it, the back gate was locked. It was hard to get in there. It's the one me and Boone eventually went to and climbed over. But they did what we would have done. 
they put a heavy machine gun, they put a dish gun, they put a PKM, and they just, it's just lead going down that fatal funnel. That's what we would have done. And um, we just managed with the, with the 203, TIG, TIG shot some really good 203 rounds during that and time and suppressed it. That, uh, grenade? Grenade launcher. Yep. He shot a, it was our, we had, he had a, um, H, it was called HK 69s. They're the standalone um, breach fed. And he got some really good shots on target. And I'm telling you what, yeah, when that thing goes boom, and especially if you're at the receiving end of it, if you're, if you're not hit, it's going to make you run. And they were able to fight down the road that way. Rowan, Jack and Tig, me and Boone started jumping walls and, and, um, you know what? That's where that never quit that pain thing came in because that first wall, we jumped over. You know, I'm kitted out with everything. I was wearing shorts. That's that's not movie magic. Actually, I still have those shorts in a tough box upstairs somewhere. It was a pair of shorts I made and a pair of pants I made into shorts in Kandahar. It was a pair of true spec pants, and I had a Kandahar tailor cut, cut them and make them into shorts because it's it's hot in southern Afghanistan. <laughs> but um, I, and we started jumping walls and. Man, I was getting tired, but I just kept remembering, don't quit, don't quit. And I remembered Ranger School. I actually had a had a flat, I, it seemed like longer, but I know it was just like that. The first thing you do at Ranger School when you go to mountain phase is you, you go up Mount Yona. You put your pack on, it's about 60 pounds. It's the second phase, so you've already gone through bending phase. You've gone through three weeks of pre-Ranger. I'd gone through two weeks of zero week and wrap week. So by the time you even get to mountain phase, I've been at Ranger School for a month and a half. Um but I didn't know it was coming. And as soon as you get off the bus, you throw your pack on, and you go up this five mile trail called Mount Yona. You scale a mountain trail with a pack on. And I wasn't ready for it. And I almost fell out. You fall behind the RI, you get kicked out. I mean, there's no second chances. You're done. And I about fell out. I was right. He was on my heels. Actually, I remember the RI barking at me. He's going, Ranger, you fall behind me. You're done. You're done. And I just, grandma, grandpa, don't quit. Find it. Find that gear. And I found a gear and I just took off and I finished actually third. It's not, that one's not a team event. Like we're in sports, a lot of it's team stuff. That one is an individual. You fall out, you're done. And I remembered that and when I hit that second, I remember I hit that first nine, eight foot, nine foot high wall. And I got to the top of it. I thought about Mount Yona and the five mile trail and that wall didn't seem as tall anymore. <laughs> so it's like, I've done this before. I can do it again. And um, I didn't hurt. I, I was just, felt like a little jackrabbit it's just it's it's amazing what your mind can do your body will quit on you i mean your mind will quit on you like that your body will never quit but it's your mind that regulates that and when i told my mind we're not quitting it just and i just four or five more walls the movie showed us clearing one one four-story building it actually was two we had one right next to each other we climbed one couldn't get fire on we went back down and we climbed another one and to tell you, I was gassed. I, I wasn't in pain because of I just didn't really wasn't feeling it, but I was gassed. I was tired. <laughs> you know, I had a Mark 46, I had an M4, I had body armor, night vision, helmet, ammo going everywhere, an extra drum. Everything but a canteen. I did everything, but exactly. Had my Copenhagen still in my back pocket. It was still good to go. And, but it took us 30 minutes to go that 400 meters. We fought the way on. The movie did a very excellent job. They did showing that the explosions and I'll tell people right now, things don't explode like that. I mean, you don't, they basically implode, but to be honest with you under night vision, all you see is flashes. If we were to do, if we would do uh, movies, would show what really the explosion looks like to the naked eye, people would walk out of movie theaters with Tourette's 
because you're just seeing you're just seeing flashes everywhere you just have to focus and take it all in but it's it's pretty freaking awesome and i i couldn't have been more proud because we that team had worked together for 30 days that's it and our small unit tactics are small unit tactics we teach them to civilians now i think there's some great classes out there that do that once you learn small unit tactics though there's nothing there's nothing special about them it's the same tactics and we had never worked together but we bounded we moved together we communicated perfectly and that says a lot for the special operations community and the marine community the marine infantry and also the force recon community it, yeah. it was amazing you, it just couldn't have been because you said that um there was I, we know the four americans who died right yeah but you said that the team was getting killed so were there others different organizations different nationalities that were under attack originally uh, as far as being when in libya you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. with, with we had um, actually a response, and he didn't. I shouldn't. Say, I, I shouldn't say killed, but it was. We had a Canadian team there as well, um, and uh, they got attacked a month prior, coming down that same dirt road. They lived at the, actually the the uh, consulate too. They lived on the U.S. consulate because they didn't have their own. They got hit with an RPG down that alleyway, and it, they were they were in level seven level seven uh, land cruisers, but RPGs still will punch through that, and. Um, we had to force our way out of the gate to respond to that. And we eventually just went to that one. And one of their security guys was severely injured. I don't know if he died or not, got him out of there. But after that, the Canadians jumped and pulled chocks and, and they, they left. And then also USAID was there. They got hit with a uh, IED on their doorstep. Uh, and then the Red Cross was there as well. And they got hit with an IED as well. So there, yeah, when I say we... I, I want to lump them in together because to me, those are Western, those are allies. Those are people that are with us. As far as GRS and CI, no, we were good. We were always the ones that were responding. That is what GRS does in those, even in, in Kabul and in Baghdad. We have freaks for everybody. We know what's going on. So if somebody says they need help, we're that's our job. That's part of our responsibilities to get out the door. But we're always fighting with Bob to get out that damn door. And um, so, yeah, the, as far as, no, we were taking. You said we Fob. Taking, Could you tell us what Fob? Oh, well, Ford Operating Base, but we're always fighting with Bob, our chief of base, Bob, to get out to get out the gate. A Fob is a Ford Operating Base. We wouldn't call our places Fobs. But that's military lingo, but same thing. We were we were a Ford Operating Base for Tripoli. Tripoli was the main station. We were a, we were a Ford base for Tripoli, but you can call it the annex. That's that's the, you would think the lingo could get the same. The military, they don't, DOD doesn't play nice with CI, who doesn't play nice with CI, with NSA, who doesn't play nice with State Department. So they all have their damn different names. But brother, over there, you know, it's just, I don't know what the hell aside from just giving weapons to terrorists and then opening an English speaking school for Hillary Clinton, which she was going to come christen, you know, the next year, really what we were, what we're doing there. So yeah, we, we weren't doing anything productive as far as killing terrorists, even though we were locating them. We couldn't action them at all. We weren't allowed to. So in my opinion, yeah, we on the intel side of the house, yeah, we were getting killed. The Iranians, they were getting us. Al-Qaeda was live and well. Obama said they were on the run. No way they were on the run. They were all over the place. I surveilled one two days before, um, two weeks before the attack on our consulate. I took it to our targeter. Me and Boone did. We saw him. It was like, there's the trainer, AQI trainer. 
He's right there. He's, he's training the guys how to do their attacks. But you know, Chris Stevens, Ambassador Chris Stevens, guys, there are dilettantes who become ambassadors that donate money and they make them the ambassador of Switzerland and things like that. This he guy, picked Libya. Yeah, he picked he dude, he was a, he was a he was a foreign service officer. He started at the ground level, worked his way up. He spoke. He loved Libya. He spoke Arabic fluently, very good. Um, I think he was a little bit complacent because he'd been in these areas for so long. But I'm not going to say that's what killed him. It didn't. I mean, he was doing his job. Um, the um, then we lost Sean Smith, who was the IT officer there. Where's finicky, you know, he, I've been 10 years and at that point, and honestly, I've been, I was, I've been injured more in the last week than I was in 10 years of deploying, you know, he's in war for two days, he's in war for two days and he's dead. Yeah. I mean, it's just how, it's how it is though. And then of course, Tyrone, Rome Woods, uh, former dev grew seal. And then uh, Glenn Doherty, Bob seal team Glenn three. Doherty. Yeah, Bob came over from Tripoli. He was that team that was able to get that oil executive jet. And it was an oil executive jet. It was one of those G5s or G6s. They flew to our rescue in style. Um, but he came over with three other GRS officers and two Delta Force guys because Delta sometimes worked with us on some of our bases. Um, but and Bob, they, they just went also, right? They kind of just commandeered the jet and went. We, we They paid for it. No, they paid money. Um, it, it was actually belonged to, and this is another irony, it belonged to a Qaddafi loyalist. So it was a Qaddafi loyalist oil executive's jet. They gave him money. And then at the end of the night, once it's all done, you know, the fighting's all done, the irony of it all, that militia that came and rescued us that I did the Jumbo to, and I did that. I, was, I did exactly, Pablo did perfect. Those were Qaddafi loyalists too. So that's the irony of it all. And that just tells you the stink of, of government. We went overthrow to overthrow. We went over there under the auspice that Gaddafi's bad, country's bad, overthrow Gaddafi. And then in the end, we get rescued by Omar Gaddafi. That's, that's you know, if that doesn't tell was, you how was he still alive at that point? No, he was dead. He was dead. His lo he still had the loyalists that were fighting. And actually, those are the loyalists that were fighting ISIS and Anshar Sharia after we left. They're the ones that actually were the ones that were doing our dirty work for us. We didn't go over there to throw overthrow Omar Gaddafi. We went over there to, because he was bad. We went there to get his weapons. That's what we did to get his stockpiles. But in the end, his loyalists were the ones that saved us. And I think, I mean, that's that's a metaphor for war right there. Yeah. And govern and how shady government is. It's awful. Different different levels of respect there. It, really. Yeah. Well. And, and on and the night itself, you know, I get into if people watch the movie, we they did a good job. I was very happy with how they did. It. I think they could have promoted it more. I think they could. They, it, honestly, I think they, I think they lost a lot of money by not promoting it a ton, but it still did well. Um, but the movie did a good job, and it, it, the personalities, the, the 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 family dynamics that I think a lot of mo movies miss, even the little tidbits with the Skype calls, spot on. I mean, they were. I mean, I, I put, I would go right back there. I mean, like, wow, I remember that conversation. I remember sitting on that launch here with Boone going, man, after the, I think it was the fourth attack that night where we fought him off again. I looked at him. I said, we were in a, you know, I'm in a lawn chair up on the roof, drinking water. I had a Snickers bar. I mean, Snickers. I looked at him. I said, dude, they're going to get this figured out. They're going to come at us with something bigger. We're going to have to get off this rooftop and go get them because we can't have the, we don't have the, you know, we don't have the, machine guns to reach out as far as they can 
I didn't say that part. I just said, hey, dude, we're going to need to get off this roof and go get them because they're going to come out with something bigger. And really what I was saying to them, and I think they did get this in the movie, the feeling was, you know, we're probably going to die if we get off this roof. Are you with me? And just like Ben, he just turns to me and he goes, yep. He didn't say anything. He goes, yep. That little awkward words didn't need to be said. I, I, I knew I, I knew that I had somebody on my side. And it, it, honestly, it makes me, it chokes me up a little bit because it's just, you don't get that anymore. Man. You know, you're going like, hey, it's like, dude, you know, we're going to die. We don't want to die. We're not going to give up, but that's a strong possibility. Are you going to stand by me? Yeah, I am. Where do you get that? You know, and, and it, that in its essence is to me what Benghazi really was about. The brotherhood, the heroism, the courageous acts. I mean, Roan, Roan was our medic. He was running around bandaging people up. Then he'd get on a roof and fight. Then he'd run down and badge his people up. Then he'd get on a roof and fight. I mean, holy crap. That's amazing. And Bob. And, and like you said, in that community, because you weren't all Rangers, you weren't, you didn't yeah. all train together. You're all yeah. from separate sides. Guys who really didn't want to hang out together, but had to fight like that to the death. Right. And, and that's the respect that you have with, with the units themselves. We give each other shit. Yes. SEALs give Rangers shit. Rangers give Marines shit. All that. But when it's time to fight, no, there's nobody's you're with me. I'm with you. I got your back. You got my back. Yep. All right. Let's go get after it. And got you know god help whoever we're coming after because you just poked the hornet's nest and that's how it was even that night i we knew we were under man but there was no doubt it's like you guys should not have messed with us we're, we're and roan roan was the leader of that roan's like yeah they they opened up the fire hydrant now here we come and i get chills thinking about it because you know it's like six guys going after 80 but it's like, they shouldn't have poked the bear and that was, that was so wrong. It was amazing. You had about 160 combatants, right? Actually, the, the number, yeah, 100, between 140 and 160. The, the numbers, I mean, we've we'll had 150 then. Let's do it right in the middle. Yes, let's go. How many, there. after the fight, how many were left? Um, We got reports that we killed 40 to 50 is what the reports were that we killed. Um, That came from the hospital. We still had a, an asset and, and uh, asset in country at the time. Um. Injuries, they have the Benghazi Medical Center. He just said they just kept bringing them in. They just kept bringing waves and waves in. And um, But that says a lot, you know, on the on the training side of the house, I think so that's where movies really screw things up. Um, unless we have a belt-fed machine gun, we never, you know, I never went full auto. With yep, M4s, right. it was well-aimed. And I love trainers that do that. Well-aimed, well-placed shots. That's effective fire. That's 101 stuff. I still, but that's, dude, you got to get that. Effective fire is more important than just going out there and go, blah, 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 blah. I, I think, I think we do ourselves a disservice with a lot of these YouTube, and a lot of these YouTube guys are good shooters. I know them. They're, some of them are friends of mine. They're, but going out there and doing that, blah, 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 I, I, I don't think that that's good training for people. I really don't. I, I, and you will, you will never do that. You don't clear a room like that. You're responsible for every shot. And even that night in Benghazi, they knew that they were using houses with kids to get closer to us because they knew we wouldn't shoot that house because we didn't want to kill a kid. I said it, that movie said, I don't want to kill a kid. I said that they're coming through. I'm like, gosh, I have my 46 and I'm seeing them come through the windows. And I just want to just, I just want to rake that thing. Cause I know, but I know there's kids could be in there. 
And, and plus they might just kill a kid and say it was you and say it was us. And that's happened. Yeah. So, but on the training side of the house, I think one thing I'd learn from Benghazi, and I use that when I do my teaching, when I do my battle line tactical or my E3 stuff teaching, slow your ass down. Every site gets a site picture. When you're under duress and you've got every, the habits please, down. Back, back that up. Yep. Every what? Every shot gets a site picture. Every shot does. Well, Chris, are you really seeing the, the threat when it's coming at you? I'll be honest, guys. No, no, I, I'm not seeing this. They said, what do I get? I, I get the, the, the troll saying this. If somebody's coming at you, do you actually see your sights? I'll be honest. No, I, I, I'm, I'm grabbing you notionally, but I'm seeing that threat. Our eyes can only focus on one thing at a time. But I've practiced the right draw stroke, the right presentation, yeah. the right sight picture every time that that, round, that gun is going right to where it needs to be. And I tell them, you will speed up. I promise you, you'll shoot faster when somebody's coming at you. Yeah. All right. You don't need to get on YouTube and go bah, 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 and then have a shot group like this. Let's get those well-aimed shots. Let's get those knockout punches. And I learned that from the Delta guys bring us. They'd come in, the unit guys. Don't spray. End the shot. End the fight. End it with one shot. You got more people you may need to get after. You may be you in a firefight. Exactly. You know, I know. You don't want to do that. You may be in a fight for 13 hours. You never know. It could happen. You never know. Well, you know, Adam, Adam said uh, earlier that, you know, in the training, he said that the most important thing to him was drawing a clean draw on the first shot draw. hit. Like that's that's the most important part on that. Well, as you can tell, that's why we're partners with the E3. We're partners on E3 because we have that same mindset. Make that first shot count. And then if you need to clean up, clean it up. I mean, that's that. You know, and when you're Fine by work. yourself, yeah, that's what you're doing. I actually feel you're going to be, you're coming on as an or two now. You're, you're on, brother. We're, we're coming with you at E3. But that all that was just from learning and learning from guys that shot a lot better than me and then applying it when it needed to be applied. And remembering it because I was able to calm myself down. Um, I think you know, a lot of when I first started shooting, we heard a lot about instinctive shooting, instinctive shooting. I get that instinctive. You know, we had rapid aim fire, slow aim fire, instinctive fires are three things that we taught at Ranger Battalion back in the day. In fact, it's even in the old marksmanship handbooks. Um, as I got moving, I, I realized, and I and I think we're splitting hairs, but instinctive. When you look at it and you read the the read the definition of it, it says your brain's not working means you're going automatic. I don't believe that. I, I think our brains are always working. I think your brain just works faster with the more training you do and that become habit. You got, you got good habits. And that's where that clean, like Adam said, that clean draw stroke. How do you get a clean draw stroke? By continuously practicing it. So it becomes habitual. Yeah. Where do you get that presentation at? Continual practice. It's not instincts. Your brain has got those more neural pathways that are doing it the right way. And then when that threat's in front of you, your adrenaline kicks in, but your brain's still doing everything the right way. You're just going faster because we have this superpower called adrenaline. Yeah. And, and um, I, that's why it, I, 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 I actually, that's why when I train, I, I don't really get into, I, I get into a lot more thought processes and a lot more of, of the motor neural pathways and how, how important it is for repetition. Um, I don't poo-poo the instinct when somebody says instinctives because that's how I learned. And I think we are just splitting hairs. I just want people to realize, keep thinking. You need to keep thinking. This is your greatest weapon right here. This is secondary. Getting situational awareness is what's going to help you win or lose or, or even just get out of a fight before it even happens, which means you won the fight. 
and yeah. then you know let your, let your hard stuff hard skills hard skills do it do their thing we, we've had uh, we interviewed tony blower you know and and his thing is to to take your first instinctive move so everybody kind of flinches but to actually train it into an action right and and uh that was it's quite interesting on that but again it's it's repetition it's time and time it again is. um you know the the typical draw stroke that you're taught in a civilian class is hand goes to the gun left hand comes to the chest so you don't shoot your fingers off trying to yeah. grab your gun right made them up press towards the target um and his point was if a guy steps into you puts his left hand on your gun and his right hand on your chest you know, you're going down, you just lost both arms, if he's that close, obviously, but it, it was just interesting about the different, different ways to, to train your mind. So uh, your instinct is something other than, you know, cow, well, that's, that's, well, well, and that's why combatives and edge weapons training are so important. You got to add that to the skill set, combatives training, um, and then just situational awareness. I, in my, it, when somebody, I'll be, Phil, when somebody asked me that question, I'm like, well, why'd you get caught off guard? What was going on? Were you not paying attention? I, you just lost the initiative. So it, 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 not saying it doesn't happen. It does with everybody. You know why it does happen a lot more than now? Because we have these stupid things because we're sitting here like this. You know, it keeps you out of what's going on around you. Don't get caught off guard. But if you get caught off guard, man, combatives training. Get, get in where you got your hands so you know what to do with your hands. So you know how to clear and create, and create space so you know about angles. You're not always stepping straight back because you don't really want to step straight back. Because if you go, if that's me, I'm going with you. And guess what? We're going to the ground and I'm going to be on top of you. I learned that from some of my great, great ranger instructors and then also some good stuff. Honestly, I, I even learned that. But I did some dis stuff with Dieter, with Dwayne. I, I don't mind Dwayne. I like Dwayne's stuff, but getting offline it was always getting offline it was never going back it was just if you got to move move at an angle still moving forward but get offline and have your hands ready to make space to clear space you guys know this that's, that's taught in, the, uh, in your ccw classes around the country create space so you can get to that weapon system but it's not always moving backwards and that's it you're, you're right the instincts shouldn't be this but how do we get ourselves out of that training and then doing the full spectrum training combatives training Edge weapons training, which is huge. Uh, and I, I, I think love the combatives. Um, I've actually signed up for a big old course this January, so I can go get pummeled and learn combatives. <laughs> that's, that's part of it, though. I I got blindfolded, uh, went through one course. They blindfolded us for a day and just beat the crap out of us. I still don't know. The only, oh, what, who, where do I sign up for that? Can I pay for that one? <laughs> you can. I want. I think that was the, actually a Dieter course. I think, but at the end of the day, I'm like, what the hell did I learn? I did. I can't use the force still. I still can't. I, it was just honestly, I'm glad I went through it just because it was it, it was tough and it was to see if I could do it. And I took an ice bath that night, but I still got something out of it. I did. I, and I got confidence that if I am blindfolded, I know I can take a hell of a big beating and still keep, keep fighting. And still be blindfolded. <laughs> but I did um, never learn the force. I couldn't still, I never became a Jedi. So it didn't work that out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to get the right saber. Well, I, I know Tuesday morning, I was shaving for work and I look in the mirror and it's got all these rub marks and bruises on my face from jujitsu. And I'm like, dude, you look like a tweaker. <laughs> it's, this is not a good look. You meth head. I, you know, I, 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 Getting back to, to your flinching stuff, though, I, I just the more training and the more confident you are in yourself, 
the less likely that you're going to flinch. But human nature, it's hard to break that flinch out of you. It is. Well, his, his thing was, was to use the flinch response constructively. Bring that. So forward. instead of, yeah. Right. Well, I would say yeah, that's why combatives are great. That flinch response, bring that thing up to their face, up to their nose. And I've been lucky. I, I haven't been surprised in a while. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not as paranoid. I'm not paranoid, but I do pay attention to my surroundings a lot more. If I'm looking at my phone for more than a couple of seconds, something inside my head goes, get your head up. Yeah. And I'll look around. Um, being caught off guard, we call it the initiative. You never want to lose the initiative. We lost the initiative in Benghazi. We waited 30 minutes. They had the advantage. We had to climb our way back up into it. It's the same thing as being surprised on the street. You lost the initiative. Now you have to climb back up this hole, just this mountain to get even so you can start the fight. I don't ever want to be like that. I want to be the one that's the aggressor. Even if I'm the defender, I can still be the aggressor by looking around and seeing what's going on around me so I'm not surprised. And then his OODA loop, because they're not trained. His OODA loop is the one that's going to keep getting reset and reset. Now I got the advantage. Um, but yeah, that, that flinch is something that I, it, it got out of me by doing more combatives and hand, aren't, so I was confident. I don't even think it may have been even the skills. It was more of just confidence in myself. I know that I can handle myself, so I'm not going to be surprised as much as I used to be, but I still have my days. Yeah, my little boy will come up behind me. He'll smack me in my kidneys really hard that I'm not expecting it. Yeah, I flinch and it hurts a little bit, but that's my seven-year-old boy. And he's like his dad. So that's just is his name, Cato. His name is going to be Cato. It is. But my little boy, my little boy, but it also, when he does it, I'm not going to lie. It does teach me like, how did that little guy sneak up on me? What was I paying attention to? What did I do? I did something wrong. I, and I tried, I do it. I AR myself. If that sounds how it screwed up, I am. I go, man. What did I do wrong for that little guy to hit me in the kidneys? But you got to got to hot wash it. You do exactly <laughs> everything. You hot wash it. AR. Man, was I putting chocolate in my mouth? Was I thinking of my coffee? What was I doing? Like, yeah, so I said, you, you're, we're always training. It's not paranoia either. It's just we're always training. We always should be learning and it, AR. It, it's always fascinated me with with the the washout rates. The, the more advanced you get, the higher that washout rate becomes. Um, and it's, yeah. And it's one of those that you get people that want to, you know, we want to dumb things down. We want to start making it easier. We want to do this. We want to do that. And the reason we're successful is because we've, a lot of people want to say forged in fire. Um, we forged through failures. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ability to go in there and go, okay, what, uh, Tana, what'd you do wrong there? Or, exactly. or, or Rob, when we, when we cleared that door, you're, you're doing a dynamic, dynamic entry and, and you absolutely floated through that first corner. No, no, we're, we're not playing that anymore. And the guys that have got to those levels have, have hot washed every single act. And, and been, hum been humiliated in front yeah. of your peers because absolutely. you do it in front of your peers. But, but even, even, dial it back and just go with with a kid in an athletic field and how many of them remember everything they did in a big victory versus the lessons they took away from the loss yeah um that's where we learn that's where we that's where we make that step forward that's that's where yeah. we improve and 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 the guys that really go a long ways are the guys that have learned to get comfortable in the darkness yes
most people most people talk to the game but but most people have never been dark um that it's a whole it's a whole different level and it's between your ears uh, in your yeah, it's in your chest and it's between your ears <laughs> it is it's your heart your, it is your heart and your head yeah. failing failing is just a step towards success failure yep. failure is when you quit that's when you quit you're done you're, yep. that's when if i'm going to call somebody a failure that's because you stopped trying Stop. you gave failing up. though failing yeah your spec ops community we fail at everything yeah. we always are failing in fact sometimes we're set up for failure you're not supposed to succeed how do you handle it do you yes. learn from it and that's again if Benghazi would have happened to me earlier in my career, if it would have happened the first time I went to Iraq and didn't happen 10 years after I was deploying, I do think the outcome would have been different. I think I still would have fought my ass off, but I still think I would have made bad decisions because I didn't, first of all, I didn't know and I hadn't failed as much and I hadn't overcome as much, especially overseas to know that we can still do this. I would have been, holy shit, the military's not coming. I'm not used to this. By that time, I'd really got used to because we we were we were small units. I mean, hopefully they were coming, but usually we were the response force for everybody. Right. So you're right. Experience, learning to handle failing, not failure, but learning to handle failing, and then coming back ten times stronger. It's the same thing. Shooting, you go to the range. I only know one guy, and he's in a comic book, and his name's Deadshot. That can hit every time through that freaking same hole. We can't we're not machines there's guys that can shoot well but when you throw around do you let it get in your head and it's going to screw up the rest of the day or do you say okay like i said that round's gone can't take that thing back let's readjust reinvent fire and we shoot again and we make it up the next time good shooters do that and good people that are strong have strong are strong mentally are able to do that and i think the people that are strong mentally are the ones that become good shooters i think it goes hand in hand that's why shooting is such it is. It's a metaphor for life. I, I, the people on the left that are that are poo pooing the the two way community, they're missing. They're missing the whole thing. That and if they would come out to the ranges and see us and how the camaraderie that you have, and you see the, all the ethnicities, and you do see all the genders out there, and you see that we're just out there having a good time, pumping each other up. We really are. That you can do this. You can do this. That six year old lady I had in my course. You can do this, ma'am. You got this. And how good it felt when she was actually starting able to get that thing within that six inch dot from seven meters, never shot before. And it's just seeing the smile on her face, the people that are naysayers to the gun community, they don't see that positivity. And I guarantee you, she's home now a lot more confident that she can take care of herself and she's going to come through another course. And, and that is something that of course, we get that in the military. We're forced to. You actually get at the highest levels. But we also can get that on the range, especially if you are having instructors that are not intimidating, willing to take their time, patience. They don't sacrifice security. You still have to be safe out there, but are willing to actually sit there and just not coddle, but you're willing to be a firm, 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 positive role model up there to make them work until they get it right but to do it in a way that you're not screaming or yelling. So yeah, don't be a drill. I've seen some instructors that are drill sergeants. That doesn't, no, I don't know. That has a place. It's called tryouts for rangers. It's called vetting for the CI. That is where the screaming is. But, but for open classes, you have to have that fine line. You don't have to be a pushover, but you have people that are scared to death. And also because they watch too much, maybe the left-wing media, they see that they think gun guys are just, 
you know, HGH alpha males out there beating their chests and we don't, we're, you know, we're not going to tolerate somebody that can't shoot. It's completely the opposite. I've only met a few instructors that are kind of like that, but the majority of them, nicest, most patient men and women in the world. Right. And, and uh, the only time I've seen one screaming, actually, I've never seen one. Uh, I've seen a couple get a little upset and I've actually, I've had to pull them aside and tell them to relax a little bit. But um, for the most part, most of the two A instructors are the nicest, most patient people in the world. And they just want you to get better. And what that does is it grows the two A community. And when you grow the two A community, it gets bigger. What does that do? Well, it gets, makes us stronger. Now those dang politicians can't touch us because we're just too damn big. Yeah. Do you know um, of any two uh, A communities? Do I? Um, I think there's one here uh, where you're at. If you want to, but no, you're in California, what's, so what's probably your, not. What's your gang sign? Is this is this your gang <laughs> this sign? Is E3? A, I actually, I just, I here. Let me do E three. There, E three. <laughs> i can't even oh i used to do it till arthritis started to sit in and all my broken fingers so i can't do it anymore just go like this there it is let's just do it easy one three three up y'all three up g are you guys but i just it, it's it's just amazing that that the, the community gets such a bad rap especially right now and we're probably the most diverse most patient most confident most willing to teach most law-abiding and most law-abiding community on the planet and um i think as long as we keep saying that we'll be fine but i know we're, we're in an uphill battle right now but that's all right hey it's adversity we're used to it that's all right bring it on bring it forged, on forged some more yes <laughs> hey chris um obviously you 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 blew up your contract you you went outside and operated on your own so uh where are you at now what are you doing now tell us tell us about sure. the podcast tell us about this new company sure well i you know I, we of course we, we did the book and and that was that was a hard decision that was a great team decision too not one of us decided to do it we had to we all decided as a team if one of us dissented we weren't going to do it um and the reason we did the book is because we just thought that was the best way to get it out where it'd be non-politicized at least right out the right out the gate we knew it was going to we knew it was going to happen after, but at least in the beginning, the story didn't come out on Fox or CNN. It's like right here, this is what we told you, and this is from us. Um, the reason our names weren't on the book is because at that time, the CIA wasn't going to let us put our names on the cover. We could put our names on the inside, but not on the cover. I, go figure. I don't get that, but whatever. It, it still worked out. Um, book you wanted well. to say you were undercover. I guess that's right. Yeah. Ta -da -ta you just hear that red? <laughs> That was awesome. Cue, cue the cue the drummer. Um, but uh, we did the movie. The movie was great. Great experience in itself. Michael Bay was a tremendously, he was just, a, he was really good. Really good to us. He wanted to get it right. Um, the actors, I thought, did an excellent job. Uh, Pablo and I, I would still consider him a friend. We don't see eyes to eye politically, but it doesn't matter. I, he wanted to get the story of my character right, correct, and he did. And to me, that speaks volumes of his character. I don't care... He's from Canada, so you kind of know which way he goes. All right, just let's just <laughs> Canadian. Um, but I, I think he's a he's a great guy, and they did the movie right. That propelled me, and it was it was hard, but it propelled me in the speaking world. So I started doing speaking, and it wasn't easy to do at first, but I, I started to get good at it. Now I do a lot of corporate speaking, and I'm with a speaking bureau called Kepler Speakers Bureau. You know, it's me. They do a good job. They have me. They have Kirk Leopold is on there with the USS Cole. Uh, Mark Nut, Mark Nutch, who is horse soldier, 
um, he, he has a different name in his movie, but the Chris Hensler played him in the movie. He's one, and then Matt Eversman has been a speaker for them forever at Black Hawk Down. So they do take very good care of us. And I, now that I've let a lot of the anger go, it's very therapeutic. I do enjoy the corporate speaking. I really do. And and honestly, when you see a grown man, sixty year old, come up and cry, and it, it it really makes you feel like you're you're doing the right thing. You know, you're helping somebody so get through. So here you are, you're doing corporate speaking, these, these groups that are not usually two egg. No, they aren't. How surprised, how surprised are they when they hear the actual story of Benghazi? Because um, they still, I think half the, more than half the nation is asleep on this. I, I they see it because I don't get political in my stories. I used to, I don't speak to political groups anymore. I don't want to go down that route. And um, because when it's just a story, they actually yeah, it's more or less of like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that's what happened. That's what I'll get. Oh my gosh, I, I had no idea. Um, but a lot of it, they'll come up and they'll say, you know, a lot of it's thank yous. I get a lot of thank yous. Say thank you. Thank you for saying that. Hey, thank you for talking about adversity. This is what I was really shocked at in the beginning, but I get it a lot now was thank you for talking about God because I bring faith in. I, I'd never, I'll be honest with you, that is something I never... I, I, I never thought I would get as much as I do. And that makes me feel good because it makes me feel like, hey, the media is trying to push God out, but really God's still important in people's lives. So honestly, that is the biggest surprise question that I get or, or, or the surprise thanks I get is how many people actually still have faith and believe in God and want people to talk about it. They may not want to talk about it publicly, but they, they like that I will do. And I'll wear this thing. This thing, this cross is always out. It's always showing. Um, and so it's, it's been great. I'll be, and to bring people over. And I don't know if they're going to vote. I don't, I don't get into that which way they're going to vote. But at least to have them know that it's not some left-wing or right-wing conspiracy, as Obama would like to call it, um, makes me feel good. And on the biggest side is that I, I get to honor Rowan and Bob and Chris and Sean still and talk about their heroism. And hopefully people will go out and find out more about them and read more, more about them or help their foundations. You know, Roan has the Tyrone Woods Wrestling Foundation. Glenn has the Glendor Memorial Foundation, which helps Roan's help students buy, buy wrestling gear for high school students. Glenn's helps uh, military children go to school with scholarships. And um, so I hope they get out there and they actually explore, ex explore it more. As far as on the political side, I don't follow them that long. If it brings them over and that they now support whether the two-way community or they support those that do, great. If they don't, well, you know, at least I made them feel something that day and feel something about how you can deal with adversity and still be strong as hell and come out the other side as long as you find work, as long as you keep moving forward. Yeah. So that's beautiful. And then it led to me to do the training. I did battle line training, battle line tactical, which is one of my training companies. And it's the training arm for E3 firearms. Um, and I started that with Boone. Boone and I, you know, sadly, we had a falling out. Um, it just happens, you know, with friendships. They come and go. I still love him to death, but we don't train together anymore. He does his own training in Florida. If you have a chance to train with Boone, go train with him. He's an awesome instructor. But that is going Battleline Tactical. I hold about 12 to 13 classes a year. Um, try to do it generally in the Midwest because I like to be home more. Um, but they're Oh, I love them. We do some great stuff, but I tell people if it's not an intro course, be ready to run. 
you're going to get, you're going to get sweaty out here. And I tell them not right now till my knee gets healed up, but usually I'm out there with my body armor on. I don't make them wear body armor on, but I say it. So if you guys get tired, I'm running right there with you and I got body armor on, but it, it's fun. Yeah. I, it's so, it's just like I told you about the 60 year old lady. It's so it's, it's therapeutic for me. It's so awesome to see that new shooter that may have been scared of this hunk of metal that doesn't do anything you don't tell it to do now know how to use it. And now be like, Oh my gosh, I am the confidence, just the confidence in their eyes, whether they, I hope they never have to use it, but I know that they know at least know how if they want to, if they have to use it and just how confident they are. And then that's where we started E3. Honestly, E3 Farms, um, me and Adam, and I'm, I'm glad Adam, Adam was originally with it. He asked me to come and I'm so happy he did. Adam, I have the same training mindset. I think you could probably tell from our conversation, your conversation with him and now mine is that, you know, I think I'm a little bit more gregarious, a little bit more outgoing than Adam. He's a little bit more straight, but it works. You got to have the yin and the yang. And um, having that where now we can bring people into community that's like a social media community, like a Facebook community, where now you can talk about guns. You can talk about training. We're getting other people's inputs. You can talk about what you have on your gear. And here's what I think about this ammo and, and not get trolled for it and, you know, not get poo-pooed by the guys that that are the gun porn guys or whoever else that may be hiding as one out there it's been awesome because you're seeing the community start to grow and you're seeing people put their two cents in you know it, it, it and it, it is i i hate using the say safe space since we it was used uh derogatorily so for many years but it is a place where people can come in and talk about firearms talk about training talk about what they like on their gun. And then somebody has a disagreement. Hey, I don't like Vortex. I like Eotex. Oh, I don't, I like Lucid. No, I like Trigicon. Why? This is why. And people actually talk and not yell at each other because you don't, you don't like the same thing I like. And, um, and then also it's just, and then also we'll have what E3 allows us to do, which I couldn't do with Battleline just because of the finances. E3's, you know, has a lot more power as far as money than Battleline does. So we can do these events that people come in and they're not just shooting. It's come in and shoot. Then let's go fishing and, right. and let's go do a fireside chat or let's say, I'm still trying to get us on the, I want to go train on the, uh, it's called the bone Fro bone frog ranch or bullfrog ranch, because I'm a big paranormal outdoor paranormal guy. I want to go shoot one day and then go, let's go find Sasquatch, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I see as far as with battle line. And that's where it could grow E3 is when the battle line stuff, when the training was done, we kind of all went our separate ways. And a lot of people, you know, they travel quite a ways to come train at my ranges. I did one where it was, you know, let's, let's do like, I go run. I used to, but I said, let's go on a sightseeing tour or something after, and let's go have a drink. And I, if you want to, or let's do s'mores after. And people really responded to that. And it yeah. was, it was like, Hey, let's, let's, let's enjoy each other's company after we shoot. If you want to, you don't have to, but, and everybody would always stay or, or being that or buying dinner for everybody saying, Hey, thanks guys for coming. Let's go have dinner together. Yeah. E3, I, like, I, I do. I like to break bread with people. That's, yeah. that, that's a good way to get everybody kind of on the same page, no matter what our differences are. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, what about E3 again? I'm sorry. I cut well, you no, that's where E3 can just take it. To, they can take it to the next level. In fact, we've got a training coming up in September. Um, and this was on my bucket list. I've always wanted to shoot 
around the Grand Canyon. I wanted to have that ambiance around me. And we actually are setting it up for next September. We're going to do, uh, you know, luckily, E3 Association, they're outdoors. They do everything, overland camping, farms, aviation, fishing. Farms is just a small part of it. But they do an, a camping trip over there they do every year. Well, there's a range, and it's not in the Grand Canyon. We can't shoot in the Grand Canyon, guys. Sorry about that. They won't let us. The government will let us do it. State of Arizona won't let us do it. Utah. But at the, at the rim of the Grand Canyon, there's a range out there that is a private range. And um, Brian at E3 was able to get us booked on it. So that will be the right. event. So we'll get a shoot. But then we're also going to do, are you kidding me? Under the night fire in September at the rim of the Grand Canyon. Can you imagine what the, what the sky is going to look like with all the stars out and, yeah. and eating s'mores and maybe drinking a little Tano? I got my own vodka. So maybe I'll have some of my own Tano vodka there. <laughs> but to me... That is, that's the path we need to go within the, in the gun community. We've got excellent trainers out there. There's excellent trainers everywhere, but let's make this now an experience where it's breaking bread together. It's seeing training and shooting at places that you may never get to go to because it's not allowed to go there. So while you're shooting, you can see the rim of the Grand Canyon in the Ford. That's, that's an experience. And if you listen to what I talked about Benghazi, Benghazi was tactics. It was shooting, but it was an experience. Yeah. I took it all in. I took the firefights, the fires, the burning land cruisers. I still remember that and the smells. And honestly, I, I don't want to forget that because that was an experience that most people will never get to a, get, a get through. I lived through it and I see it as a positive. And that's why I want the training to learn to be more on the experience side of the house. And, and that's what E3 allows us to do. And then just, just having the ability to I, Rob, I don't, I don't talk to people a lot on social media, like actually engage them. E3, I do. I, I get in there and no, I'm, I'm engaged and I'm talking as much as I can. It's been a little less right now because of my knee, because I've been going to the doctor's office back and forth, but it's a place where if somebody has a specific question or just even wants to talk or if they want to ask me, if, you know, what do you think of Hillary Clinton, which I've been asked a million times, but it's a place where, you know, I'm going to interact with you because you know, honestly, I, I want that community to grow. And if that interaction helps gain memberships and word of mouth, more people come in and then get the training that Adam and I have put on there. Adam has some excellent, excellent courses on there. And we're going to add more. And him and I always do hip pocket training, which will be at the range. And we'll do a short 10 minute blip. If that brings them in. So now they're learning, learning just more about how to be a, a law abiding efficient gun owner that knows how to handle their weapon systems. That's great. But the big thing is just, Let's, let's make this an experience. And E3, they have the ability, the association has the ability to allow the firearms part of it to do stuff. I don't think anybody could do except maybe for groups like Thunder Ranch or the, you know, the, the bigger ones right. that have the money. To, but even then, they're locked into where they go train, where we're not. We've got areas that nobody else can go train at. Let's go make an experience. And, and of course, to go throw a helicopter right in there and go shoot some hogs. Anybody that's ridden, if it has not ridden on the skids of a little bird or ridden on a bench of a little bird going at Mach 10, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're going to like it. But that's what E3 is. And, and it's just starting. I think, I think we're doing quite, quite well. It's, but it's still tough because social media-wise or even email-wise, we're getting shadow banned. We're getting, you know, our, all our emails go into spam. So... But like I told, like I told Brian and I told him in the beginning, and I said, I knew this going in, we're going to get that. 
because the con- people that control the mass media are most of them are gun gun looper gun haters gun control loopies um it's i told brian it's a marathon man it's 13 hours it's going to take a while just keep, keep moving forward find work and it will take off and i want to bring more instructors in and to, to be part of it as well because this is a perfect place for them to promote and and they're not going to get you know banned they're, they can promote whatever they want on the activity feed and do their forums and and um, I think we've seen from that because there are some other instructors that are on E3 and they they're able to promote. And we're also able to put, you know, have a personals. You can put personals up if you're selling a gun. We don't sell it for you, but you can put personals up if you're selling firearms. Where else can you do that on social media? Nowhere, unless you unless you're a gun manufacturer and you have your own web page. But yeah. as a social media page, you can't do that anywhere else. Well, you can do it on ours. And um, yeah, people, and that also gets people together because now they start interacting with each other. And as long as you got an FFL and it's going to another FFL, then then we're good. So yeah, yeah I'm sorry, I keep knocking this. I know I'm I'm all over the place. You're, sorry, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, man, I I cannot thank you enough for jumping on here and and sharing part of your story. Um, Thanks, sir. I wanna I wanna dive a little deeper. Uh, down the road some. Um, CCD has, you know, we've got our, our own range. Uh, we got 50 farms. I don't know if that if you'd ever yeah. get close, brother. If you wanna you want to jump down, we can we can do a class for you or something like that. Bro, uh, I, I would love that. Where where what what city? How far just maybe I can so I can tell far you how far are you where are you at? Um we're our range is actually about 20 minutes south of Oklahoma City, but our headquarters is in Oklahoma City. So we're like oh, yeah. in the middle of the state. You're right. No, but you're, you're, you're three you're hours and that's it. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a range I use in Kiefer. I use right outside of Tulsa. So that's nothing, man. I'd be honored. I'm, I think it's something we can get scheduled. I, Rob, if you'd be willing to do that, is absolutely. I, I, I think it's something that we should do. And dude, Midwest, I'm home. So I, I love Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is an underrated city. I think it's, you guys got one of the coolest minor league baseball fields. Oh yes, that, uh, and and your half marathon and your marathon. I'm I'm a runner. I, well, I was <laughs> until I was until last week. It is some of the coolest places to run downtown. I got pictures of whoever did those murals on those underpasses. Wow, those things are beautiful. So now I'd be I'd be honored. We definitely need to hook that up. That's awesome, brother. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in again. We appreciate. Uh, our, our regular followers. Um, we want to thank Chris so much for, for jumping in and, and helping us out. Like always, um, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you can always reach me direct. Um, my email is rob, R-O-B, at ccwsafe.com. Um, we appreciate everything you guys do for us. And and Chris, I, I can't I can't thank you enough, brother. Thank you so very much, brother. Um, I'm, I'm honored, brother. And thank, I'm sorry, everybody out there, if you're watching the video portion of this, I kept hitting my knee has blown out. I kept hitting the pillow like this. So if I made you seasick, I am so sorry about that. And Rob, I'm sorry, buddy. But thank you again for having me on and tolerating my injury to do this, man. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. It's, it's an honor, sir. I, I appreciate you so much. Oh, God bless you, brother. And we'll be in touch. Just let me know and let's get something scheduled. Definitely. For sure. Thank you, brother. I'll, right, I'll take care. I'll be with you. All right. Thanks, buddy. Tell Philip.
Thank you as well. I know he's, he's, he froze up, but tell him thank you, okay? Sure will. All right, brother. Bye. Bye-bye.